Matthew chapter 5. We have begun a study of the Sermon on the Mount, or at least a few Wednesdays ago. And we're moving right now through the Beatitudes. It's simple as you begin to study it or listen to it. You realize that the Beatitudes is God telling us the kind of people He wants us to be in a world that's not like that at all. Like He said in verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Well, that's not what we want to be. We've already explained what it is. Or blessed are those that mourn. Well, we don't want to go around mourning in this age of rock and roll and no money down living. We don't want that. Verse 5, blessed are the meek. Well, who wants to be meek? I mean, you can't hurt people if you're meek. You're not tough. People aren't afraid of you. They don't fear you. They don't want to act like you if you're meek and mild and tender like Jesus was. He said, learn of me. I am meek and lowly in heart. Sort of the opposite of what society portrays today that a young man would want to be. All the monsters and the heroes and the tough guys out there, Jesus said, not you. I want you to be meek. Verse 6, Blessed are they that do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. We're living in a careless time and a careless society. People are doing whatever they want to do, whatever feels good, they do it, without regard for whether or not it's right. People in the church are like that in many ways and shouldn't be. But Jesus said, blessed are they the hunger and thirst after. That is, they want to know. I want somebody to tell me or Lord to show me. I want to find out what's right. What are God's right ways? Because John wrote like this. He said, I don't want you to be deceived, misled. See, he that does righteousness is righteous. He that does what is right is right with the Lord. Now, you were brought to the Lord and made to be His, and in that sense, you were declared to be right with the Lord, not based on anything you've ever done. But now that you're His, He expects you to live right. And there are people who really do hunger and thirst after that. They sing the song, Teach me thy way, O Lord, that I may walk in thy truth. Because they really want to know. Life has a different meaning to the people that are finding what kind of life it is that God wants you to live. And there's a certain kind of blessing that God lays on a person's heart who's living that way. And it's about peace. We'll talk about that in just a moment. Because the next thing we talk about, verse 7, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. To really care and have compassion on other people. To be concerned about other people. You can't always do something about it. And there's even times that God said, leave them alone. They're like a butterfly in a cocoon. I'm working on them. But your heart cares about other people, how they're doing, what's going on with them. That's why you get involved in supportive missionary work when you give, because, you know, you care. And that's the way a Christian ought to be. We can't just sit back and say, well, it ain't my fault. It's, you know, I didn't do it. It's their problem, not mine. Because sometimes we make other people's problems our problems. We esteem others not only better than ourselves, but we care about them before we even care about ourselves. It's something about the nature of God in a man that makes him like that. Tonight, verse 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Children or sons, either one. Now, peacemakers, 
this does not tell us that this is a promise to the peaceful, that you'll be the children of God if you're a peaceful person. It doesn't say that. Nor does it tell us we are those who yearn for peace. It doesn't say that. That's not what it says. It said, blessed are the peacemakers. Not everybody does. Not many seem to really care whether or not there is harmony or unity or peace between two opposing or two combative parties. But we should. We should because as God is doing His work in us, doesn't the Bible say He does that? God is at work in you. Isn't that still in the Bible? In Philippians 2, God is at work in you both to will. I mean, He's redoing you, rechanging your whole direction in your life. He said He would. All things become new. And he's turning you around and you're wrestling with some of this and sorting it out. And it's not easy. And boy, you're not sure sometime and not real settled. But you're staying with it and you're walking through this thing and you're going. And he's starting to make things work. And this is what is happening to us. There's this work of God inside of us. And one of the things that he works in us is peace. I can say at my age, after 43 years of being saved... One of the greatest pleasures I have at this time in my life is peace. I don't just say if I died today, I'd be in heaven tomorrow because I'd be in heaven tonight. I'm not saying that because a lot of everybody will say, that, oh, yeah, I'll be in But I really believe that. To not struggle with that, not strive with that, not get alone and say, would it be? But to know in your heart that your relationship with God is that intact. And you're not just beating your guns, but your heart is speaking. I know in whom I have believed. I am persuaded. I am convinced. I am sure. Not the first time I met him. Not the first time I was taught after I got saved. Not the first month. But I grew. Are you with me? I grew. And the more I grew and, and begin to see in whom I have believed, in whom I am trying very hard to believe in and follow, the bigger it gets the brighter it gets, the more clear the picture gets, and you begin to see Him, and there's this, praise God. And then you attach to that all those hundreds of trials in 43 years and the things you've walked out, the times you just wouldn't turn away from trusting God when everybody was hammering on your headpiece or persecuting you, put it that way. And you wouldn't turn away from God and satisfy those who were fearful you just stayed with it. Many times you were alone. You walked it out by yourself. People start talking about that. But I don't know about all that. And then God brings you through. And He settles in your heart something that you're getting where you don't fear anything. You're not afraid of tomorrow. Not afraid of this or that or swellings and diseases and bumps or accidents or anything else. You just know that God will take care of you. It may look bad, but God will take care of you. And if you have that in your heart... Like the Bible said, there is peace in believing. May God grant you peace in believing. Because that's where it comes from. If we didn't have faith in God, we would all be unsettled because faith is what makes things for sure. And without faith, you don't know. But I'm not too sure about that. When it's faith, you're persuaded and convinced. That's why I think, I hope, that's why I spend so much time teaching on that subject because that is the key that puts all this together. Take peace. Isn't peace what every normal person in the world wants? I'm talking about normal. I'm not talking about terrorists. 
I'm talking about normal people. You know, a terrorist I heard on the radio the other day had his powder keg in his turban. This particular kind of terrorist. And he had all of his powder and his nails, whatever it was, in that thing wrapped around his head. And when he triggered that thing, he blew up and hurt a lot of people. He felt no pain, but everybody else did. Can you imagine living your life to kill? Living your life to bring hardship and misery and grief on people? Can you imagine anybody whose life is so miserable that they're willing to dedicate themselves to the dying just so you'll die? Killing you. And it's all a religious thing. It's not about which country's going to win because it's not two countries fighting here. It's religion. I want peace. I like to have peace of mind. I like to have what peace means. Peace is tranquility. Peace is freedom from mental agitation. When you have peace, you're not tore up. When you have peace, you're not stressed out. When you have peace, you're not bitter about something. You're not angry. You're not frustrated. You're just, you're not like that. I would much rather have peace than anger. I'd rather have peace than bitterness. I'd rather have peace than an all-expenses-paid trip to the best hospital in Louisville. Just to know in my heart that something is certain that I can trust in and rely on, and though I haven't seen it yet, I know it's true, absolutely certain fact. Because if you have something like that in your heart with regard to your day, your tomorrow's, your problems at home, domestic, financial, spiritual. When you have in your heart the certainty that God, the word He spoke is the word that He watches over to perform, and you put that word in your heart and you're trusting in it, and you're at peace with that, you can't do better than that. You know where that peace comes from? It comes from God. Peace only comes from God. He is called the God of peace. Jesus said in John fourteen twenty seven, My peace I give to you. If you get it, that's how you'll get it. It's a relationship with God which is checked out and tested. And when you find yourself approved, you'll find He puts peace in your heart. Peace that is so good that it actually passes understanding. It goes beyond our ability to explain it in detail. I like that. Freedom is peace from disquieting and disgusting and mental things. Thoughts, agitations, fears, threats. Have you ever seen a bitter person who is peaceful? There is no such thing as a peacefully bitter person. Oh, she's so bitter and peaceful. Peace is harmony in your personal relationships. Peace is knowing that I can get along with you and that you cannot offend me. You can call me names and you can disown me and disregard me and write me a bad note and it does not alter my day. Isn't that nice? If it's true. I pray that I'm not just talking, but I'm telling you the truth. Everybody wants that. Everybody would like to know that when I get up in the morning, my salvation is secure. All right, that I'm a Baptist. All right, count me into that. But my salvation is secure because I know what I believe. That's how it works. And I know that throughout the day, as you grow and as you learn to not just talk but live, you come to the place where almost nothing in the day can really upset you, except maybe losing your keys or your checkbook. 
<laughs> no, you just get to the place where I cast all my uh, care. That's what it is, that anxiety, which is mental. I cast all of my care over on the Lord. Well, he cares for me. Amen. Peace is what sells insurance. You think about it. If you buy this policy, you're protected. Am I really? Yeah, you'll be protected. You buy this policy and you're protected. So I can't get hurt in an accident. Well, I didn't say that. Well, then where's the peace? People that follow you get all of it. Insurance companies, you know, they examine you. They check you out, give you a test, they scrutinize you, and then they sit on the bottom line and they say, we believe you'll make it. And down here you say, I don't believe I will. And then... And you sign up. I know there's sometimes you have to have it. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the people who think that they're going to be mentally better off if they have this policy to fall back on. And yet, many of those who are Christians have never stopped to think, has God supplied or promised something better than that? Does he have something better than what they out there offer? Is the 91st Psalm for real? No evil shall befall you. No plague shall come nigh your dwelling. And concerning you, he will give his angels charge. And you won't dash your foot against a stone. As you go here, you go there. Goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. That sounds better. And there's no premium. It doesn't cost you anything. It's free. It's available to God's people. But as he said here, to be the children of God. Wouldn't it be nice to know that even though you don't have what the world leans on and depends on, that you are counting on God to take care of you, and because you're sure that He will, you have peace. You don't strive about it. You're not concerned about it. You're at peace. Peace sells drugs. Remember a trip we had last year to Israel, and one of the people in our party, his wife, made sure that she asked him if he had his pills or his drugs. But don't leave them at the room today because you know what happens to you if you do. I'm thinking, bless his heart. He's taking all these pills because he's got this and he's got this and he's got this. And a man's a preacher. He's been a preacher, it's looked like all of his life. And yet in all of his learning, somehow or another, things here that should have set him free from all of that stuff never came to his eyes, never came into his heart. He didn't know he could lean on the Lord and trust God and be delivered from all that stuff. But there are people that only have peace. Well, we can't go unless you take your medicine. We can't go unless you get your shot. We can't go unless and less and less. Oh, and you can be free from those mental moments if you'll take whatever those drugs are. You know, the evening news is only drug commercials. You've got a butterfly in your room or you're depressed and you can get free from that. If you don't listen to the side effects, one of them, well, you could have a heart attack or a liver problem. I think, give me the other thing. Actually, I don't want any of them. But peace, peace sells safety features in cars. Peace sells smoke detectors. The world is looking for something to relieve them of worry. Worry and anxiety is one of the great pill sellers of our age. I think one of the reasons so many kids do drugs is because it's trying to escape who they are. Alter their consciousness so you can get out here and, and get crazy. Because then it's not your fault because you're somebody else, I guess. And yet, when a man finds what God offers, 
He doesn't need that stuff. That's all junk. Doesn't need any of it. She doesn't need to flirt and act real flippy. He doesn't need to act tough and bad and scout, drive him through the drive through. Doesn't need to do that anymore. All that's changing. All that's beginning to change. Because God is doing a deeper and a more wonderful work in his life. Peace is what makes great organizations in the world. First, it was the League of Nations and the United Nations, peacekeepers, trying to secure peace in the world between warring nations and getting in the middle of them and saying, now, come on now, boys, stop and, and peacekeepers in the world. It hadn't exactly turned out that way. It became a political something that's not fit for this message tonight. But if America got out of the United Nations, I'd be the first one to holler hooray, but we'll go on, Okay. Peace is what makes you plan for funerals. Funerals, homes are wanting you to plan for your funeral now. I mean, you're 35 years old. They want you to start planning for your funeral. Then you'll be at peace about when you die, what everybody's going to do. Let me tell you something. When you die, you don't have any idea what they're doing. <laughs> and I don't think after you die, you care what they're doing back here. Well, who's going to get that old gun or the fish? Who cares? Who cares? Folks, peace is not in all the stuff that people are trying to find peace in. Peace is in faith in God. That's where you find it. If you don't have that, then all you can lean on in being a peacemaker is psychology. You can try to play the psychology role because you can't use the Bible. Because if it doesn't work for you, then you're a hypocrite. It has to work for you if you're going to proclaim it to others and use it for peace. Every time there's peace talk in America, the stock market goes up. Yay, peace is coming. Israel's great deception at towards the end will be the, the time when peace, peace. That Bible said, then comes sudden destruction. I don't think there's a nation in the world today that wants peace more than Israel. They don't want to fight and war. They want to be left alone and study and grow and enjoy their families and children like everybody else in the world seems to want to. And yet they're surrounded constantly by enemies. I pray that God would confound all the enemies of Israel. Would so confound them that they can't get along with each other and never come to unity with each other so they could oppose Israel. Because if there was ever unity amongst those people, it would all point to Israel. And maybe it'll happen in the last days during that time of Jacob's trouble. But we'll see as that gets closer to us. And it's probably closer than we realize. So, first of all, I want you to look at the promise about making peace or peacemakers. is that we shall be called the children of God. Now, I think the word here more or less means sons. Though there's a difference between the word children and sons, the Greek words, the meaning is somewhat similar. Close enough that we don't have to spend any time trying to make some little difference between sons or children. To be a child of God, to be called the children of God, means that you are those who carry the seed of your father. And as you grow, you grow into his likeness. And his nature is settled inside of you. And again, as you grow up, then this nature becomes evident. Would you just for a moment turn to two places in the Bible? Would you look in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 4? And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18. See, we partake of His nature, do we not? If I told you tonight that God wants us to be like Him, 
And before you say, well, nobody can be like God, God's attributes is what's lodged inside of us. Is God love? Then should we not love with His love? Jesus said, so the love wherewith I have loved you, you love others. Same thing. The faith that Jesus has, that's the faith that we have. His goodness, His mercy. We can't have any of that unless it first comes from God. It's all God and then us. I noticed in Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 4, where he talks about this divine nature that is within us. Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 4. Well, let me get verse 3. According as His divine power hath already, past tense, given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness. All this is through the knowledge, that's the way He gives it, through the knowledge of Him that called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these promises you might be partakers of what? Where is this divine nature? It's in you. The very nature of your heavenly Father is in you. How could you grow up into Him in all things if there wasn't something in there that was making this work like that? The seed of your Father. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18 talks about beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord. It says we're being changed into the same image. First we have the nature of God and then in 2 Peter 3 and verse 18... He says, but we all with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into what? The same image by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit's doing the work. That's one of the things He comes to do. Is to take that treasure which has been put in you. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. And the Holy Spirit has come to bring out of this vessel all that is of God. So that it's no longer we who live, because He must increase, we must decrease. And as we begin to grow, it means we begin to grow that way. It is no longer I who live, like Paul said, it is Christ who lives in me. It's like the flower. You plant the seed and it comes up a little bit and it's a little more. And then one day there, the thing blossoms and this is the flower. Jesus was like a grain of corn that fell into the ground and died. And it reproduced itself in everybody that he put his life into. They were part of this. And so we have this nature inside of us. That's why we can have the peace that God gives. When he told us to have his peace, he meant that all of us together, one of the things that should characterize us in this earth, in this last day, is peace. Peaceful people. Not striving, not agitated, not worrying and mean, stressed out, hard to get along with, difficult, intimidating. Not like that at all. Just to settle peace in your heart. A peace that says, I know in whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able. This is what we want. We're peacemakers. We have this peace inside of us, and this is what we can take to the whole world out there to tell them what they can have and what they should have. You don't have to be tore up 
You don't have to walk through life needing some kind of a mental something. Turn to Colossians. Colossians chapter 1. This is easier to believe than what I'm saying anyway. Colossians chapter 1 verse 20. This is what Jesus did. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things into himself, by him I say whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, and you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight if... And you read the if when you go home. You notice it says there that peace was made between us and God through something Jesus did. This is the gospel message. This is the foundation of evangelism, of the herald or the call for lost people to come to the Lord, to have peace with God. Because when you're not the Lord's, you're the enemy of God. You're a sinner. You have no place in God. You're on the outside. All we like sheep have gone astray. There was none. What? We tried to be righteous. We went to church and tried to do better and shape up and all that. But none of us could. The only way we could ever have peace with God is if somebody who was sinless would take our place and stand between us and God, somebody acceptable to God, and would stand in our place and die on our behalf. That's what all the sacrifices were about. But he had to be perfect. Couldn't be an animal. Blood of bulls and goats couldn't. It had to be a man. So God made himself a body. And he walked and lived and talked. He said, if you've seen the Father, you've seen me. I lay down my life for the sheep. And he laid it down and he went to the cross and he died. And God accepted that. Therefore, the way now is made for me to have peace with God through Jesus Christ. That's the only way I can have peace with God. I can't join a church. I can't do anything else. It is through Him. Go back two books to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 14. For He is our peace. Don't we sing that? He is our peace. He has broken down every wall. All right, listen to this. For He is our peace who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh, that's the sacrifice, the enmity or separation, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of two one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereof, and so forth. Now, If Jesus Christ has made reconciliation, what are we to do? He has given us a ministry of reconciliation. What does that mean? We are to take a message of liberation, wherever we are, to whoever's lost and apart from the Lord, and to proclaim to them that Christ has come to set you free. You don't have to live the way you live. You don't have to act the way you're acting. You don't have to go through a lot of things you're going through. The devil's trained you to be ignorant. He's trained you to live like that. He's trained you to be afraid and sorrowful and bitter and hopeless and combative and adversarial. He's trained you like that. I grew up in much of that. 
Didn't know any better, thought it was what everybody did. Then one day I realized I have been made a fool of. I didn't know how to tell somebody else you don't have to be bound with all these fears and things. Jesus came to set you free. He removed all that was between you and God. All that barrier that was between you and God, He broke it down because God received Him and repentance was now possible to be given to us. And when He brought us to Him, when we surrendered our heart to God and we repented and came to Him, how many of you know we didn't get a new brain? Well, somebody said we had the mind of Christ. Thank God for that. But your mind has to be renewed. There has to be a changing, a transforming work that God does in your life. The Word has to come like light and shine where it was dark. And you have to be willing to give in to the light. And the more you do, you dissipate the dark. And you start walking in newness of light. You begin to change. That's what I was a while ago. And the more you see the evidence of this working, the more God performs His Word for you. Well, the more you want everybody to know it. I think sometimes we make a nuisance of ourselves. We want people to know it. Sometimes I think we're so desperately want everybody to know this is wonderful. People say, we've heard all that in Sunday school. I know that's part of the problem. We've heard it till we're dull of hearing. But there is something about making peace that comes from having peace first. Having it. Oh, there's a kind of a flu strain coming or there's a kind of a weather front coming or something. I don't mean you shouldn't be prepared and, and use your sense about doing what you can do. Don't just go stand on the train track and say, the train ain't going to hurt me. Well, or let your kid go out and play in the street just to prove you have faith. You might as well handle snakes if you're going to do that. But I'm talking about living the Christian life and not afraid of the consequences of making right decisions because that's where a lot of people have their problems. Well, I would like to do that, but so there's no peace about doing that. Because a lot of people, when they do have peace about something, they say, well, I have peace about it. You've heard that. I have peace about it. I feel good about this. I believe it'll work. Let me give you some applications tonight of peace-making. Not just having peace, but making peace. There's two sides to this. First is the passive side and the active side. Now, the passive side of peace is about as popular as a pork chop in Israel. Passive peacemaking. What do I mean by passive? Well, it's in the same fifth chapter here of Matthew where we were, Matthew 5, 38 and 39. I'll show you how unpopular this is. You have heard that it has been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, listen to this, this is New Testament. But I say unto you, resist not evil. Now, who do you know that would even consider doing that? Now, we can talk about it in church here tonight. That's okay. But who do you know that would actually do it? Resist, not evil. So if some maniac comes up the street with a butcher knife, you're just supposed to stand there and give him a good shot? No, he's not talking about things like that. He's talking about as you walk the Christian life, as we'll see next week, you can be sure you're going to be persecuted. Jesus said in Matthew 10, Think not that I came to bring peace on earth. I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. How's that fit? Well, you walk with me and you'll pay a price. You'll be persecuted, like we see in verse 10 and 11 next week. You'll be persecuted. You'll be hammered, talked about, insulted, scorned, and everything else. 
And it'll be a test to see where your heart and your loyalty is. But that's the way it'll work. In this verse here, he says, at verse 39, he says, resist not evil. Didn't Jesus say if they smack you on one cheek, turn to the other one? If they take you to court and sue you for this, give them that. Wow. You hear people talk all the time, I'll tell you one thing. And I'll tell you one blank thing. That's what they usually say. Well, then you don't have God to help you then. Not in that area. You're on your own. There's a fear of trusting God in areas that people take advantage of me. People will hurt me. Who said they would? Who do you have to fear if God is on your side? Didn't he say he would give his angels charge concerning you to keep you in some of your ways? All of your ways, didn't he? See, our problem is a believing problem. It's not a memorization problem. It's a believing problem. Well, we didn't do that. Just you know, Remember Jehoshaphat? He was so awed by the Word of God and the life of David that he began to teach the whole nation, all of Judah. He sent all of these teachers throughout the whole nation, and they came to these, I'll call them Bible studies, and they were trained and taught the Word of God. Now, today we would say, well, who's going to guard the borders if the enemy comes? I don't think that came an issue with them because the Bible says, and the fear of God fell on all the nations round about, and nobody made war with Judah. God causes the enemies to be at peace. He says that when a man's ways please the Lord, he, God, maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. They don't have to like you. They don't like you. But they can't do nothing about it. There is also a, such a thing as an angel of the Lord. Isn't that true in the Bible? That God does dispatch angels to protect people? Then what are we so fretting? What are we so worried about? What are we so disturbed and mentally agitated about? And so, well, I don't know about that. That just doesn't sound good. Would you feel better if you had a trained dog, a couple of guns? some cameras and whatever people were counting on the day to keep them from getting hurt? What's wrong with God? What's wrong with His Word? What's wrong with the simple promises, 8,000 promises that He has made? Many of them have to do with our well-being. Like He said, no evil shall befall you. He'll give His angels charge concerning you. They will keep you in all of your ways, lest you dash your foot against a stone. He'll bless you as you go out, and He'll bless you as you come in. I don't care what the conditions are, what country you live in. He said if you will do it His way, He will cause things to happen because He is in charge. Man, whom have I to fear? Of whom should I be afraid? If God be for me, what? Who could be against me? So a glad heart should receive this because this is what we need, again, to have peace in our lives so that we can share it with others. Because if we don't have much peace in our life, people will not only know it, but you don't have a whole lot to share about who somebody else can trust if you're not willing to trust them yourself. A lot of preachers that I have known, I'm not talking about bad men, I'm talking about good men. They can't preach things like trusting God with all their heart because they don't do it themselves. They have the same kind of fear about getting sick or getting hurt as others do. They dread the same diseases that forecast one out of ten will get. They dread it as much as people in the church do. 
They can talk about peace, but they don't have peace about God performing His Word that far. And consequently, they cannot give peace to those that are struggling. They can only tell them to get an operation or take a pill or a shot or something and hope it works. God can do better than that. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm all for the relief that people can get wherever they can get it. There's a lot of hurting people that if they didn't have a doctor in a hospital somewhere, they'd just die. I don't want them to die. A lot of them are not ready to die. But I know what he's promised to his church. I know what belongs to us. It doesn't mean we believe it, but I know what he's promised. And I know that God who does watch over this word indeed will perform it. Listen to what another translator says about this verse. It says, do not make use of force against an evil man. The word says in the Sermon on the Mount, resist not evil. It says, do not make use of force against an evil man. Well, you'll have to wrestle with that to see what that actually says to you as to how far you would go with that. I mean, if somebody got mad at you or, and hit you in the mouth, what would you do? Or slap your child? Oh, now the game's changed. Or spit on your wife's face. Ooh. What would you do? If we were teaching ethics, we would ask the question, what would a Christian do? What is a Christian to do in times like that? And this is where we close the Bible and glorify opinions. I'll tell you one thing. God wouldn't expect you to just sit there and take it. I mean, because after all, everybody spit on you. Well, God can make them all run out of spit. Now, see, you laugh, but I'm just saying, what's too hard for God? Who's going to do anything to you unless God allows it? When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes his enemies be at peace with him. The reason things like this sort of bother us is because we don't hear it. And when we have heard it, it bothers us because we realize that the life that God's calling us to is not just a thing of going to church and reading our Bible and having a good time. This costs you everything to live like this. It makes you think, can I even do it? Smarter men than us in here have written books about the Sermon on the Mount, not being for today, but being for the millennium. Because it's a supernatural ability to walk in the Sermon on the Mount. That's not true because you won't have any enemies to resist or be persecuted in the millennium. This is for right now, today, in Shelbyville, Kentucky, on this particular day. It is for us. Another translator says, but I tell you not to retaliate the injury. You know, if you push me, the Bible said, if they slap you on one cheek, he said, turn the other. Now, if they slap you on that cheek, the Bible doesn't say anything else. It's your turn to slap back. Now, see, you shut your Bible and you're writing your own now. <laughs> to be meek means you shut that mouth too. Nobody's interested in your opinions about what doesn't agree with God. The source of those opinions are not God. It's like James 3. They come from the wrong source. Such wisdom as that. God wants us to live on His terms the way He wants us to. Like in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 3 and 7, whenever those people were taken to court. Let me show you something about that. 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 3. This is some instruction from Paul to the saints there, that I don't know if they were this happy about this. 
about what he taught. Now, remember, Corinthians was a church that had all the gifts. They had the fivefold ministry there. They had apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. In chapter 1, he said, I praise you that you come behind in no gift. This church had it all. They were gifted in all these wonderful gifts and so forth. But they had their problems. 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 3. Know ye not that we shall judge angels how much more things that pertain to this life? If then you have judgments of things pertaining to this life, set them to judge who are least esteemed in the church. Now that's the way that reads. Let me take a liberty here. You know, I don't like to do anything that's not right. I don't believe necessarily in every case that the periods and the commas were inspired. Actually, they came quite a while after the canon came to pass. I think in the 1200s we got the paragraphs. That's another study too. But what if this reads like this? What if it reads like this? Know ye not that we shall judge angels, messengers, how much more things that pertain to this life? If then you have judgments of things pertaining to this life, set them to judge who are least esteemed in the church. You got problems in the church? Are you trying to find people that don't know how to look at both sides? You're looking to people like that to do that. Look at this. Verse 5. I speak to your shame. Is it so that there's not a wise man among you? No, not one that shall be able to judge between his brethren. It seemed like it is in opposition to verse 4. You have problems in your church? And you're taking your problems in the world out there before the heathens, as one commentator said. And you don't have anybody in the church that can judge between you and the person you're having the problem with in the church. There's nobody that can tell you right and wrong about what they're doing. Is there not a wise man in this bunch? He said, I speak to your shame. You're Christians. He goes on to say, but brother goeth to law with brother. And that before the unbelievers. Now, therefore, there is utterly a fault among you because you go to law one with another. And notice this. Why don't you rather take wrong? Why don't you rather suffer for yourselves to be defrauded? Why don't you just let them have it? Quit fighting. Two people can't fight if one won't. I'm still married today because of that. <laughs> Yourself. But I'm saying that's why I'm still married. <laughs> because my wife never would fight. I grew up fighting, hollering, yelling my whole life. That's how I coached. That's how I lived. I married a peaceful woman and I'd get aggravated. And she wouldn't fight. And then I wanted to and she wouldn't. And I just kind of hum. I get there. <laughs> <laughs> but how could two people fight if one wouldn't? If two of you in this church were having a little bit of problem with each other and it became known, what would happen to the problem if one of you just, okay, I'm wrong, you're right? What would happen? The problem would ought to cease. Because you just made peace. You just eliminated an opportunity for the devil to come in and widen this gap between two people. And their friends are going to choose sides this one. They're going to choose sides with this one. We're going to have a big church problem. But you can't do that if you just give in. 
Have you ever done that in your life? A long time ago, there was a little skirmish. And somebody thought, well, if I hadn't have said something or made a certain decision, well, we wouldn't have had this skirmish. And I'm thinking, as they tell it, you don't know what you're talking about. But I thought, you know what? That's what they believe. So one night I said, I'm wrong. Everybody went, how are we going to fight if you don't fight? I'm wrong. You're right. I'm the bad guy here. My heart would say, though I'm not, in the best interest of the people in the church, it's best to do that. I'm not a hero and I'm not some great one. I mean, you've been here long enough to know that. But there's just a whole lot of things that are not worth the time it would take for air to go through your voice box to speak it. Just not worth it. We give dignity some of the lowest things in the church or in people's lives. We just dignify all kinds of wrong things and bad things. Paul rebukes them here. This is in the church that had all the power. And he says, including those who were prophets and apostles, he said, isn't there a wise man in this group? He was an apostle. He's the one that started this church. He said, isn't there anybody in here as a wise man that would know how to deal with matters? Are you so without understanding of God that nobody can judge between you? Or are you so hardened to each other that you won't let anybody else tell you what to do? What if we had a problem? And I called a special assembly. I want all of you that go to this church, I want you to assemble here. And last one in, lock the door. And then bring one of them up here and set him right here and stand one over here. I had to get between them. I've done this once, not in a church, but in a pastor's office with two warring parties. Whoo! Once. <laughs> and then to say, now I want all you in the church, we're going to deal with this couple's problems tonight. Or this two men's problems or whatever. Now so and so, you said that he is more like a dog than a human. And you said, if anybody's a dog, he is. And consequently, y'all been back and forth. Now, what do you say about this? What do you say about this? How many of you know that this has seldom ever been done? And we get through say, all right, let's vote. Which dog? <laughs> Which one is <laughs> You couldn't say it like that, could you? You'd have to fight both of them. But which one of these two guys, which one of these two, what should we say to these? Somebody might stand up and say, well, you know, I, I believe the fault is sort of shared by both of them. And one of them would wind up saying, you know, look, I shouldn't have said what I said. Well, I shouldn't have said what I said. Well, praise the Lord. And you make reconciliation with each other. You know, that's part of our mission in life is to make reconciliation. To tell people, be ye reconciled unto God and amongst ourselves to be peacemakers. If I know you don't like her or she doesn't like you when I'm around her, and I said, you know, I heard a good thing. Uh, so-and-so said a good thing about you the other day. If they did, now I can't make this up. That'd be lying. What did he say? Well, he said he thought you'd been right more than he had. And she's starting to think better about him already. And I tell him, you know, I know she's been a difficult lady in your life or to deal with or your neighbor there. But, you know, I think I think she's coming around. The next thing you know, they start going, 
How you doing? And they start getting along, and then suddenly there's nothing else for the devil to get in here and divide. Nothing he can do to divide. We are peacemakers. But look at the church today. It's called by some people the militant church. And man, some of them are. In the church, there are militant people. Hard to get along with. Moody, you hate to be around them because you know if you say one thing wrong, they'll take it personal and then, oh, brother. Or they're demanding people or mouthy or intimidating or aggressive in some way. This is not peaceful. This is not the way we should be. I guess as we mature sufficiently, when somebody starts that, you can say, don't threaten me like that. God didn't make us to act like that. They might be offended by it, but you told them the truth. The Bible does say speak the truth in love. We go out and we protest. We carry signs. We take people to court and sue them. That's not what God called us to do. There's no peace in any of that. And nobody makes peace like that. A lot of people don't want to hear that. We agitate people. We fight. Take the political element that's in a lot of churches. Every big political year, a lot of the conservative churches, they get real patriotic. And they want to stand up for Jesus and vote for heathen one. Well, he goes to church, <laughs> so does the devil. And what happens when we get real patriotic and we get in support of a candidate who is, let's say, a Democrat or Republican, one of the others, or a Tea Party or, or Whig Party, whatever kind of party is going on today? Anytime you align yourself with one political party, you are automatically in opposition with another party. Amen? And the differences between you are usually political. But they become offensive because you let the other person know and you get that way. I don't think I've ever heard a Christian candidate stand up and say, I praise the Lord for my opponent that he's a God-fearing man and that he goes to church. And I'm sure with the help of God, he'd make a good president. Don't say that. Don't say that. Say he's a dog, he chases cars or something like that. No, no. See, when you start doing things God's way, people don't like that. We like the idea of name-calling. We like to give our president nicknames. We like to kind of put down all of this liberal idealism that amounts to nothing. And we like to name-call and get on there and listen to the conservative talk shows that teach us, one, how to be negative, and you're never peaceful when you're negative. Amen to every one of you. You're never peaceful when you're negative. And somebody's always pointing out somebody's wrong, you start thinking wrong about that person. And anybody that agrees with that person or would like to see that person in office, you want to jump in instead of making peace. You want to make war. And yet, somehow the church has escaped the idea that there's nothing wrong with that. That if you're a patriot in America, then bless God, you're out there defending your rights. And none of that is in the Bible. Not a verse of it. On the other hand, we're called sojourners and pilgrims in Hebrews 12. We're passing through this world. In 2 Timothy 2, we pray for the government. We don't rail against them. We pray for them. I do. I pray for the President of the United States, I pray for his office. I think the man needs to be saved. 
but he's probably in a whole line of people that need to be saved. He doesn't have any peace with God. He's to be pitied. You think about it. There's no peace with God. His peace is only momentary or temporary. As long as there's money and fame and accolades and there is some kind of recognition that look at who I am, but when that's all dead and gone, you're alone with your thoughts and there's nothing good there to think about. Like old Confucius once said, a Chinese philosopher. He said, man, all wrapped up in himself, make a small package. There's not much there. We pray for the government, even in Paul's day for Nero. What a despot. Burning Christians lit up Rome with burning Christians. Paul said, pray for him. That's what Christians would do. That's what Christ's followers would do. Would Christ do that? Would Jesus pray for people that killed him? What did he say on the cross? Father, forgive who? These that are crucifying me, forgive them. Why? They don't know what they're doing. What if you were mature enough to say about all of these people that are just ugly and mean? If they knew Jesus, they would never act like that. If that young lady knew Jesus, she wouldn't act the way she's acting because she doesn't need that. Jesus in her doesn't need any of that kind of attention. Or a boy wouldn't go around acting like he's ignorant. Because if he knew Jesus, he wouldn't act that way. Jesus looked at people who were just ugly. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. What did Stephen say when he died when he's being stoned? He said, Father, lay not this sin to their charge. Even in a moment of death, there's no animosity. The heart is not bitter. You're not mad. You don't want to get even. You don't want to fight. Done with all of it. Walked away from it. Gave up on it. That's passive peacemaking. Now, how about active peacemaking? Well, active peacemaking means, that, among other things, that we are to be as harmless as a dove. Look in First Peter chapter 3. Didn't Jesus say, I send you forth as sheep amongst wolves? I send you forth as sheep amongst wolves. How do sheep act? Have you ever seen a belligerent? Well, I can't ask you that because there's not a lot of sheep in this part of the country. I've heard that sheep are quite timid creatures, quite different from other animals in their ways. I'm sure one would butt you if he was had a bad day or something. But we're called sheep or lambs and so forth for certain reasons. But in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 8, Finally, you in Shelbyville here, be you all of one mind, having compassion one of another, love as brethren, be tender-hearted, be humble, humble-minded, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing or hollering back at people like politicians would, but contrarywise, blessing knowing that you are called thereunto, that you should receive a blessing. Verse 10, For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil, and his lips if they speak no guile. For he that will love life and see good days. I need to read that again because I like that. For he that will love life and see good days, 
What do I do? Well, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Does your Bible say that? If you want to have good days, then what do you do? He tells you two things to do right there. Verse 11, here's another. Let him avoid or eschew evil. you got to like that word. And do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Seek peace. What if I told you, I want to get along with anybody wherever they are. Even bad, relentless people. If me getting in the shadows and getting out of their way will make them not have a fit and rage and rant, then I get out of the way. You say, well, I didn't grow up that way. I doubt if we re- any of us really did. We're talking now about that kind of an attribute that characterizes Christians as God does His work in them. We're peaceful, peacemaking, peace-loving people. Let's go on. Verse 12. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. Anything that God must judge is evil. And who is he that will harm you, if you're afraid to trust him, if you be followers of that which is good? Remember that verse. But, and if you suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are you. And be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, not boasting, having a good conscience, that whereas they speak evil of you in the community as they would evildoers, that they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good manner of life in Christ. And then verse 17, see if you can handle this. For it is better, if the will of God be so, that you suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. But the same thing in the next verse is what happened to Christ. You think of those verses right there in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8 through 17. There's a whole lot said there. That's about the third or fourth time they have read that. There's a lot of instruction right there to people that are not paying attention right now in this hour. There's a whole lot right here that is a game changer, a life changer. If you want to see good days, here's a promise. You want to love life and see good days and not another one of those days? You want to see good days? Do what he said. And one of them is seek peace. Pursue peace. Quit trying to get even. Quit trying to make somebody know you're out. Just seek peace. That's the work of God in you is to make you that kind of a person that seeks after peace. Or as I said a while ago, I send you out as sheep amongst wolves. Be you harmless as doves. Don't get involved in crowds that are going to do this. Don't go to those rowdy joints where everybody is hanging out and talking loud and are going to get in trouble. Stay away from that stuff. You don't need that. You don't need to hang out where people like that hang out. You don't need to dress like those kids dress. You don't need to act like that. All the time you're doing it, there's a certain kind of tension. What would I do if somebody did this or said that? Get away from all that. You're a Christian. What fellowship does light have with darkness? Hello? 
What fellowship does righteousness have with unrighteousness? You don't have to prove you're tough. You have to prove you're a Christian. There's got to be a way that everybody in this room can be known that you are a Christian. You say you are. There's got to be a way we can find out. Isn't there? Shouldn't there be evidence if we are? If we're Christians, shouldn't there be some evidence? If this young man says he's a Christian, shouldn't I be able to tell? I can't be looking at him. I wouldn't ask him if he's a Christian. I'd ask his daddy or his mother. I'd ask his brothers. Nobody loves you more or fights you harder than your brothers. I'd ask his friends. That doesn't mean he's perfect, but if he has Christ in his heart, then it will be evident by the fact that he's wanting to learn more about him. He's not here because you drug him in here. He's here because he wants to be here. He studies, reads, and learns because he wants to know. This is how the divine nature becomes real to us, is through the knowledge that God gives. That's why we want this. That's the way it's supposed to be. Romans chapter 12, look at this one. Oh, you might like this. I'm going to assume that you will. My brother Hamilton, you know we will. Well, let's see. Romans chapter 12. And verse 14, bless them which persecute you, bless and curse not. That's all we need to say if we've gone home. But I'll say more. Rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. Because you care. We're part of this. You're part of each other. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. And be not wise in your own conceits. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. And if it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. That is wonderful instruction, but it isn't easy to do. Because some of the people that God puts in our path, some of the people that come in our way, the people on the workplace, in the work site, a neighbor or something, they challenge everything you believe. I still remember my neighbor didn't want me shooting that gun because it made her dog miserable. And there's a part of me that used to think, bring a dog over here and you won't have that problem no more. I mean, you know, that's not the way we do it. The best way for her to have peace and not be agitated by me. It's quit shooting a gun. And one day I wanted to shoot because I was getting ready to go hunting. And I went over to her house and said, Mr. So-and-so, I like to shoot my gun, get sighted in. And she said, well, give me 20 minutes and I'll go to town. And she did. And I did. I didn't want to aggravate her. You know, somebody else would have said, well, that's her problem. No, it's my problem. Because I'm the cause of her dog's fit. And her dog can live at peace if I'll just quit shooting the gun. How big a deal is a gun shooting in your life anyway? Well, it's not that big a deal. I like it, but I don't have to do it. As it turned out, it's kind of waned anyway. She's still alive and she's happy and I'm happy. I'd much rather her go to her grave saying, well, you know, he quit that, whatever was agitating me, he quit that, and I appreciate that. I'd rather be a peacemaker in that sense. And someone that everybody where I live has told some story about me. Now, he calls himself a preacher, but I'll tell you one thing. 
it's easier for me to back off. It's easier for me to lay down whatever I want to do and give in to you than for you to try to make an issue out of it. We're Christians first. Before anything else, we're Christians. Amen. Amen. We'll finish this next week. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, may the reality of this word, may the clearness and the cleanness of it, the truth of it, find its way into our hearts. May we from this day forward have a conviction that when it's violated, may our heart condemn us until we can repent in these areas. That we might be gentle, meek, kind, thoughtful, compassionate, caring, peace-loving people. Not demanding our ways, not threatening anybody, giving in if we have to. We trust, O God, that you will protect us and you'll take care of us. And in the end, receive us to glory. I ask you to do it in Jesus' name. Amen.